Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Save 50% on an annual digital subscription in our January sale and let science guide you on your journey forward. Become a New Scientist digital subscriber and you'll receive unlimited access to over 50 new articles a week on newscientist.com, unrestricted access to the New Scientist app, including our Essential Guide series, free online events brought to you by world-class scientists and experts, our weekly editor's highlights newsletter exclusive to subscribers, and access to free accredited courses from New Scientist Academy. You can get all of that for just £2.25 a week in the UK or $1.92 a week in the US. Go to newscientist.com to grab this bargain. Hello and welcome to New Scientist Weekly. This is the show that brings you a curated selection of the essential stories of the week. Our aim is to feed your curiosity. I'm your host, Rowan Hooper. And I'm Penny Sarche. Welcome to the show. This week, we're joined by new scientist journalists Madeline Cuff and Matt Sparks. Hi, both. Hi there. Hello. Hi. Now, coming up on the show this week, we've a proposal to make wind turbines that are taller than skyscrapers. And we have the welcome news that some parts of the brain actually speed up with age. Yay. Mm. We will also be hearing a fascinating piece about how storytelling in Aboriginal culture has preserved reports of sea level rises from thousands of years ago. And we'll be discussing what this noise means for animal musicality. But we're going to start with a story about artificial intelligence. Now, you've all heard uh, about chat GPT, right? Um, this is the mm. artificial intelligence created by the firm OpenAI. Has anyone played on this? Yeah, we, I've had it. I've had a quick go. It's, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty impressive, but uh, I'm not sure it can replace journalists. journalists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main fear, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's so it's a language model, and you ask it things, and it generates answers in seconds that are really quite impressive. But the, the news this week, though, is that an AI is taking the role of a lawyer in a court case. And Matt, and it sounds a bit like a sort of Robocop or something. Um, what is going on? And it is in the US, right? Well, it's a, it's a US, UK startup called Do Not Pay. And they offer chatbots that give legal advice, relatively small consumer stuff. But they're trying to step that up and create AIs that interact vocally The idea is that that can sort of argue consumer issues with customer service people for you or even court cases. So it's basically a, a chatbot, is it? Yeah, it is. It's, it, it, that's what it started off as. And they've been going for several years. They say they've helped three million people or so, but they want to test out this new technology in the real world. So the, the founder put out a call on Twitter asking for someone who'd been recently charged with a speeding ticket to be their guinea pig. Now, they've, they've found an anonymous defendant, and he's going to appear in court as usual, but he's going to wear an earpiece, and then the AI running on a smartphone is going to listen to all the court proceedings and figure out what's best to say and tell the defendant exactly what he should uh, be telling the judge. And the, the company seems optimistic that this AI can get the person off their charge, but they've, 
you know, they have offered to pay the fine if uh, if they don't succeed. Is this legal? Uh, is it allowed? Well, the, the founder of the company, Joshua Browder, he, he told me that the technology would be illegal pretty much everywhere. <laughs> um, but they've found one US court where it, he says it's technically in the within the rules, but it's not really within the spirit of the rules. I asked the Ministry of Justice here what the, the, the deal would be, and they, they didn't really have a straight answer. They just told me that if someone asked for AI assistance in court, they'd have to sit down and think about it. So has has it been tried before, or are they going sort of in blind with a criminal charge and just to see what happens? It's never been tried in court before, but Browder says he, he recently used the same AI to talk directly to customer service staff at his bank with a synthesised voice, and it successfully reversed several bank fees. You know, his argument is that AI is perfect for this sort of thing because it can spend half an hour on the phone quibbling over a small amount that a person would probably give up on. So it doesn't charm them into um, reversing the bank fees. It just quibbles endlessly over details <laughs> until they give up. Yeah, I think I think basically it, it has a repertoire of kind of, you know, consumer law and rules and things that have worked in the past. And yeah, maybe there's an element of just... Uh, stamina to it as well <laughs> well it's kind of good to get the ais just to argue with each other over it although then you get into an arms race over who's got the better ai whether you know it's the consumer or the bank that you're quibbling with right? that's true with lawyers right who can afford the yeah. better lawyer yeah. yeah yeah and you can certainly imagine a point in the future where customer service is completely ai and people are using ai to argue with them and it does yeah it's going to get get to a strange place quite quickly um you mentioned ChatGPT at the start. That's actually what, um, or a similar thing, this startup is using OpenAI's GPT-3, uh, but they have sort of fine-tuned it on lots of case law so it can understand how courts work and how people get off charges or how they have in the in the past. But they, they do admit they've had some problems. One of those is getting AI to stick to factual statements because there's a tendency, you know, if it's given the task of just getting off the, the charge, that it would say whatever it knows or thinks would get the person off rather than what is actually true. Um, That's you know, just that like might... any lawyer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be, it's probably a great short-term strategy, but it's going to open up a can of worms when you when you get caught and uh, charged with perjury. So, you know, we've all been trying to work out if ChatGPT is going to replace us as journalists. Um, could something like this replace lawyers? One lawyer I spoke to, he was, he was pretty sceptical, but he's obviously, he's got skin in the game. So um, I think it's too early to tell whether this is even going to work or whether it's going to be allowed in courtrooms. But it is another demonstration that AI is sort of seeping into every aspect of life gradually. But, you know, it's, it's a persistent thing. The founder of Do Not Pay, he told me that he thinks lawyers are charging way too much money and just copying and pasting boilerplate text and they, they sort of deserve to be replaced. Mm. Um, he's pretty confident that most cases, you know, the, the less serious cases will be handled by AI. And that's going to leave just a small number of lawyers handling just the most important or the most complex cases. I mean, all of this sounds quite sensible, doesn't it? Within reason, I think there's a place for AI. But since we published the story on this upcoming speeding case, uh, the founder, he's tweeted again, and he's said that he wants someone who's got a court case coming up at the United States Supreme Court, you know, the highest court in the land, Mm. to do this same test, which they're planning, but haven't even carried out yet. As a, as a potential reward, they're, they're giving a million dollars to a lawyer who's willing to go through the same process and put an earpiece in and, and be told Whoa. what to say. Wow. But the, yeah, as we know, the Supreme Court decides the really important rules that the, the, the whole country lives by. 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not sure that's the sort of case where we want AI arguing what, arguing on. Well, what we want is the AI in the role of a Supreme Court justice, actually. So they, I could think of quite a few of those that could be replaced by an AI quite happily. <laughs> Yeah, but then, you know, do we replace all senators and the president and everyone with AI? I mean, at, at what point do we, where do we draw the line? I would, in, in some presidents, I would have preferred to have an AI, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, uh, let's have some music. <laughs> That's pretty delightful. It is, isn't it? I knew you'd like this story, Penny. I know you've written about um, animal musicality quite a lot before. Mm. Um, can you guess what animal that, that was, though? It's a bit like a howler monkey, isn't it? So, uh, is it something like a gibbon? It is a gibbon. It is, yes. Um, so they sing together, male and female gibbons. They sing duets. But what's just been discovered is that the, the notes are synchronised and they occur at very regular intervals, which hasn't been seen before in non-human primates, or only one. So this has all got implications for the evolution of, of, of rhythm and rhythmic capabilities in humans. Gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, let's play some more. <laughs> Here's a scientist musing on animal musicality. And he says, the perception, if not the enjoyment of musical cadences and of rhythm is probably common to all animals and no doubt depends on the common physiological nature of their nervous systems. And that was Darwin in hmm. 1871. But despite that, him asserting that, there hasn't actually been any evidence of this rhythmic ability in non-human primates. And that's why this, the Gibbon work is really exciting people. That's really interesting because I, I think there has been some rhythmic work, like cockatoos that can dance or drum. Mm. Um, and they think that's part of mating. So interesting to see here that potentially the roots of music, again, seem to have something to do with romance. Yeah, yes. Um, and they do sing, the male and female Gibbons sing duets together to form social bonds um, and to define their territories. Can we hear some more? Yeah, let's play out with some more and listen out for the isochrony. That's when notes are spaced out at these regular repeating intervals. And there's more on this story in the mag and we'll put a link in the show notes. break new scientists are launching a new online event series called the greatest physics experiments in the world yes and the first talk in this series is called secrets of the large hadron collider join particle physicist clara nellist part of the atlas experiment at the lhc the world's largest and highest energy particle collider for a deep dive into the past present and future of this incredible facility the online talk takes place on Tuesday, the 7th of February from 6pm GMT, that's 1pm EST. For more information and to book tickets, visit newscientist.com LHC. And there's an early bird offer for the event series too. That ends on Sunday, the 15th of January. So do check that out soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Next up, we've got heartening news for anyone who is a bit long in the tooth. Yeah, this is the finding that some parts of our brains actually speed up as we age, which I really like this because there's that general narrative that your brain just steadily declines throughout adulthood, but it doesn't seem to be entirely true. No, um, well, I, I hope it's not. So what have they found? What is this story about? So this is a study that involved measuring the speed that neurons or brain cells communicate with each other. They looked at this in the brains of people who are having surgery for another reason uh, to monitor their epilepsy. And these kinds of surgeries don't happen that often. So the, the study involved 75 surgeries across a 12 year period. Um, wow. So it's a pretty small sample. And, you know, it took a long time to, to get them all. But, you know, even though it's a small sample, it's such a special opportunity to actually be able to watch brains in, in action. Yeah, sure. So the people involved, they were as young as four, some of these uh, people getting surgery and as old as 51. So that's the age range. And then with the help of some modeling, the team found that the communication speeds between some regions of the brain got faster and faster up to the age of 34 and then uh, started steadily declining. All right. So what are the brain regions involved? So they include the frontal regions, uh, which do things like planning and controlling yourself and language and movement. So lots of sort of higher functions and how those frontal regions then communicate with two other regions, the parietal, which are involved in censoring the world around us and the temporal regions, which do things like processing the information we hear and, and our emotions. So those regions started declining after age of 34. So um, for those of us who might be older than 34, <laughs> what, um, is there any good news? Yeah, so this is quite striking. You know, obvious caveats, small study. They needed mm. models to really kind of pull out the trends. But although um, there seems to be this peak from the frontal to these two other regions, it, it gets better up to 34 and then down. The modelling indicates that the transmission between those latter two regions, the parietal and the temporal, actually just continue to get steadily faster with age. Although, of course, the upper limit in this study was 54. So we, we don't know if that mm. happens forever. But, right. but that's something. I wonder why. Yeah, so we don't know, which is, is always really exciting in science. Mm. There's a few ideas. One is that communication in the brain continues to speed up, generally speaking, throughout adulthood, because we, from the age of seven or eight, start pruning back synapses. So children have loads of connections between all their brain cells. But actually, if you start getting rid of the ones that aren't that useful, that could speed up and, and continue to speed up how you send messages throughout the wow. brain. yeah. Or I, I like this one too. Um, it might be because the myelin sheath, which is this uh, fatty kind of insulation we have on our brain cells, uh, that speeds up the transmission of their electrical signals. It might be that this sheath actually just gets thicker and more effective in some regions of our brains progressively mm. as we mature, which is a nice idea too. Yeah, very interesting. And it's nice to know that you know, we some aspects of brain function do improve and uh, through adulthood, even as we get older. Yeah, some solace for us all. Um, it's a nice surprise. And you can read a lot more about it in Jason Aaron Muragesu's article on this finding. We'll, we'll post a link to that in our show notes. Right, let's talk about wind power. 
At the end of the year, wind power, there was a record touted around. It was 20.9 gigawatts of energy were generated on the December the 30th. And then just this week on Tuesday, that record was broken again with 21.6 gigawatts generated in the UK by wind. And so some days wind is making over 50% of our electricity in the UK. Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant news, isn't it? And there are similar stories all over the world. It feels like wind power is really ramping up now. Yes, it is. And uh, so that's what we want to talk about today, because I was looking at the first offshore wind farm in the UK, and that was built 20 years ago. So the turbines there each generated two megawatts of power. And this year in the North Sea, we're going to get a wind farm built on Dogger Bank, where the turbines each generate 13 or 14 megawatts. Um, that's the Halliide X turbine. It's 250 metres tall. Mm, we had a story about the massive ship that they used to install these. And it's quite a thing to imagine. It's called a jack-up ship because it's it has these legs that reach down to the seafloor. And mm. then these cranes that reach 336 metres up. So that's higher than the it's Eiffel Tower. It's crazy, yeah. It's absolutely, yeah. What, what a thing to think of. But Maddie, you've been reporting on, for, you know, even more outlandish engineering here, plans for even bigger wind turbines. Yes, so a group of researchers in the US led by a guy called Eric Loth at the University of Virginia, they're working on proposals for a giant 50 megawatt turbine. So this would put even the Halliade X in the shade. So it would be 550 metres tall. That is higher than the World Trade Center one in New Mm. York. And so there's good, I mean, it's absolutely massive. There's good reason for wanting to try and build wind turbines this big because the larger the turbine, the more power that you produce for each turn of the blade and each turbine that you have to build, which brings down the overall cost of wind power. So that's why these we've seen these turbines kind of getting successively bigger. But this would be a kind of another huge jump in their size. So trying to imagine a turbine that's as big as a, as one of the biggest skyscrapers, you know, what's the engineering like at that scale? Is it technically possible? So as you might imagine, building such a massive wind turbine isn't particularly easy. One of the biggest risks is that of a tower strike, which is where longer blades can bend in high winds and essentially they risk striking the turbine tower. That's the wind turbine equivalent of an aeroplane crash. It's every engineer's worst nightmare. So what Eric Gloth's design does to get around this is instead of having the blades on the front of the tower facing the wind, the blades are put on the back of the tower downwind and they're angled upwards and away from the tower itself and plus this is the really cool bit they can fold up in strong winds so the design has been inspired by that of palm trees which if you've ever seen them in a hurricane or really strong winds their fronds fold up and their trunks bend so on this design the trunk won't bend but the blades will fold up so that there's no risk of a tower strike. Wow that that sounds amazing so um, how real is this Are, are they building it? Not yet, no. So they've they've built a smaller scale version of this 50 megawatt design. So this small scale one has two 20 meter long blades, which are much, much smaller. To build the full scale prototype, Eric says that he would need about a billion dollars. So he's got to find someone with some deep pockets first. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I was thinking about this, the billion dollars and whether it would be better to put a billion dollars into a prototype for this or just to really speed up our rollout construction and design of uh, the ones we can do already i wonder what do you, do you think is it better which one's better to do to build the huge ones or go for the ones we we can already do i think 
that's a really valid question. I mean, on the one side, if you can build those really, really big turbines, it does just make the job of decarbonizing our electricity system so much easier. You can take one 50 megawatt wind turbine and that can power 15,000 homes. So, you know, you just need a few big wind farms and you've kind of done the hard yards of decarbonizing electricity there. But then again, you're right in saying that kind of plowing so much investment into designing a new supersized wind turbine, that could really distract the engineers and the accountants of these big turbine makers from just rolling out the technology that we've got. And as we kind of said at the beginning of this segment, we've already got really big wind turbines, um, yeah. which can generate a lot of power. So maybe we should just kind of stick with what we know and, and get going as fast as possible because, you know, the timescales of climate change are really closing in on us and we need to act fast. Okay, we've got a fascinating story here. And, and you know, Maddie's just said how the timescales are, are really closing in on us. This one is about timescales going back thousands of years. So when we came out of the last ice age thousands of years ago, as the ice melted, sea levels rose all over the world. And in Australia, that meant 23% of the land area was lost. And much of that at the time was inhabited. So you can imagine how the people living there would have had to retreat and negotiate with other people about moving inland. It's the sort of thing we're going to see happening in the future here in the rest of the world now. But what's incredible is that there are accounts about that time that have been handed down in Aboriginal stories. Now, usually these stories are really hard to learn about because they're only shared among Aboriginal people. But we've got an interview now with Cassie Lynch, who's a descendant of the Noongar people of Southwest Australia, and she's been studying their storytelling tradition. And the writer David Finnegan interviewed Cassie for us. And here he asks her about the stories she heard from the Noongar people. Yeah, so the kind of stories that I researched for my PhD were based around usually the creator serpent, the serpent that created Noongar country, who, you know, generally might be known around Australia as the rainbow serpent. And so this is a figure that sets all the laws, LAW, of Noongar country and protocols that Noongar people must follow. And if people break the law, then the serpent sends floods to punish the people. But you sort of talked about how really recently there's been this sort of research that has verified some of these stories. Can you talk a bit, how, how is that possible? How have we managed to find out or verify these stories? Yeah, it was a groundbreaking paper that came out in 2015 in Australian Geographer by Nunn and Reed, and they are uh, researchers who study previous climates and who um, have the capacity to judge the level of the sea in successive thousand-year periods. It's very difficult to do. They measure the sea floor with against their modelling of um, the sea level rise after the last ice age. And so they put this information together and then they made the connection that Indigenous people around Australia are essentially telling the same story. And so this is a story of a sea that rises but crucially doesn't recede because there are lots of stories around the Western world of seas that rise and fall, you know, Noah's flood, etc. However, these ones were very consistent of a sea that rises and doesn't recede and what that community did and what wisdom they passed down about how to survive it. 
One of the most extraordinary things to come out of this research was that there are um, Indigenous communities on the north of Australia who can describe islands that are now submerged and have been submerged for about 7,000 years. So these are the sorts of things they came across that made them think, no, this is not a coincidence. Humans have been telling stories about climate all around the world, but there are communities of Indigenous people in Australia who have passed down the eyewitness accounts of a major climatic change like huge sea level rise. And one of the hallmarks of Indigenous storytelling is we have survived climate change in the past. This is how you do it if it comes again. There is a real opportunity for us to be guided by First Nations knowledge in this moment because, as you say, it has kept information that the rest of us have lost. But for people who don't have maybe an existing connection to First Nations culture and who maybe want to connect or access this knowledge, where would you suggest they begin? Often people ask me, what can I do to connect to country? We're not Indigenous people. We don't have any connection to the land. And I often think, oh, that's a Western framing of that you lack something. When I ask uh, Indigenous elders, particularly my elders, Noongar elders, they tell me, Cass, notice country, notice the land, notice the seasons, notice what the animals are doing. Where does the water come from? Where is it going? What times of the year does it rain? All of these things, if you go out and notice those things and fill your mind with those things, you're actually living much more of an Indigenous life than you might have been previously. That was the Noongar scholar Cassie Lynch talking to David Finnegan about how storytelling in Aboriginal culture has preserved reports of sea level rise from thousands of years ago. It's really amazing stuff and we've got a longer version of this interview coming out on Monday, so do watch out for that. That's all for this week. Thanks to our guests Madeline Cuff and Matt Sparks and thanks to you for listening. Do go ahead and subscribe and get in touch with us on Twitter at New Scientist Pod. Say hello, give us any feedback you want. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. Bye. 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 This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.